It's the sense of touch. What? <laughs> Any real city, you walk, you know? You brush past people, people bump into you. In L.A., nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just so we can feel something. What's up, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Rotten Potatoes, a podcast where four friends sit around and review movies uh, that you absolutely should have seen. Uh, my name's Tyler, and I'm here with my three best friends in the whole wide world. Jake, is that enough set up for you? Yeah, no, I'm pretty happy about it. That's it's the most jarring, I think, transition we've had into our opening that was, song. Yeah, I was. I feel I was like you said that, <laughs> Jake. I feel like you said that like 12 times, though. Yeah, but it, it's always worse. You know, we always <laughs> talk ourselves. Was, I got lost in the intro, and then the music surprised me. Was it more or less jarring because we're all remote, right? Yeah, you know what? I, it's it's hard to tell. I can't see what Tyler's doing, you know? And so maybe. Maybe it was more. I uh yeah, I, I think it like stands to be said that not only is this another late night episode. Like the the we've only done one other late night episode. It was Burn After Reading. And uh, we're doing we're recording this at nine forty at night. Oh boy. And uh, that's late. Very late for Scott. Yes. Uh, Scott's usually Zach, in bed two hours ago. Yeah. Zach, uh, you're you're at home with Kate tonight. Is Kate working or is she home tonight? She's home. No, I mean, we're both home, but we both worked today. So, uh, yeah, this is me post a 12-hour shift. So I don't know if you guys are going to be getting season two, Zach, tonight. Oh, man. Well, I need you to amp up a little bit because season two, Zach, I, that I, want. I was getting amped and then I heard Don Cheadle say, I think we can only crash into each other to feel something. And I'm, I'm pretty low right now. I thought that <laughs> it brought me down when I thought you liked it when the name of the movie was in a line. I do. I do love that. That in happens opening a lot. <laughs> the more they say it, the better, in my opinion. And then Jake, uh, what's, what's your sleep schedule usually like? Oh, I don't know. I usually go to bed around midnight and I wake up around 7.30. But I am, right. I'm sitting at my work desk right now and I have code open on my other monitor. So it's going to be there. Do you feel like you're working? A little bit. This is what I do at work pretty much is I keep stuff open and then I just talk to people about Crash. Well, <laughs> I, had a, I had a long day at work and I have to be up uh, ungodly early for me. I have to be at work <laughs> at 6, which I, I've... I, I haven't had to do many times in my career, and I try and avoid it as much as possible. But we love you guys, and so we're here. We're doing this thing. We're doing this for the top, actually. Yeah. yeah. We waited yeah, uh, until we were all vaxxed to go remote for you guys. So, and yeah. we realized we were out of episodes, and we also couldn't meet in person. And we were like, but we got to put out a pod for the tots out. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but I told a lot of people we were doing Crash and people were like, and they said Bandicoot. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> forget what I forget what I was setting Whatever up. Zach Let's just keep it at say, that. Yeah. All right. 
Yep. They well, said, are, I've you got re- to- <laughs> are you reviewing the PlayStation 1 game Crash Bandicoot? And I said, yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah, actually, we're that doing is what we're doing. Wrath of Cortex, which was a PS2. We got, <laughs> we got Spyro coming next week. Sp- yeah. <laughs> Stay you beat tuned. me to the punch. I, I was so into Spyro. Spyro was, think- was great. Do you guys think it would be a good spinoff podcast to review video games? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think it would be, but how would it work? Would we have to play the entire game? Because that would take a while. <laughs> I think what we would do is we'd have to play a movie's length of time of the video game. <laughs> okay. So, like, okay. You play, play through the first like hour and a half and just see how far each of us get and like where we're at, what we like our initial thoughts are on well, let us know on Instagram if you want us to do a review of Spyro. What, yeah, what let if, us know if you want us to spend and like double the amount of time we're already spending on this podcast on, yeah. on a worse what if podcast. The, what if the overwhelming majority is people want us to do Spyro and we have to do Spyro? You got to do it for the fans. Yeah, you're right. Oh, 100%. All right. 100%. What uh, console is Spyro on? PlayStation. I definitely had I it on my Game Boy. I got it on a flight and I played it and I Game was a little Boy? bit bored. Yeah, I had a Game Boy Advance with Spyro on it. I don't think that was Spyro. I'm pretty sure. I don't think was Spyro was on Game Boy? That's Nintendo. That like crossed platform. Sure. I mean a lot of things do it. Really? Yeah, like, you know, I played, you know, Skyrim on, on a few few consoles. Uh, you've lost me. Minecraft. <laughs> all right. Way over my head. <laughs> well, that's all I got. <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't do this video game. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Because I feel like my amount of knowledge of movies is all of the three of our amount of knowledge of video games, and Jake's the only one who knows. Maybe. Uh, yeah, that's probably fair. Well, I Jake, you would be our resident expert, though. Yeah, but you guys would still hate everything I picked. So... <laughs> you know, it'd be even worse. Is actually. there a good, the bad, and the ugly video game? What? Good, the bad, and the is ugly. Is there a good, the bad, and the ugly video game? I probably. I'll talk to Clint. See what he's doing. <laughs> well, I want to give you guys a little bit of an update, not only for uh, Jake and Zach, but for our tots out there. One of our uh, one of our our avid listeners, Tyler. I promise, not me. Another friend of mine named Tyler. <laughs> reached out and uh when we started this podcast our very first episode stand by me uh he caught me in uh, the hallway at church and said i'm so excited you're doing a movie uh you know podcast i love movies i'm obsessed and we talked to movies for like three minutes and he said my absolute favorite movie of all time is there will be blood you have to do that episode and i told him we'll do it for you man just for you and we did it, and Scott crapped all over the movie. And uh, he texted me uh, today and said, Hey, man, I'm catching up on a couple episodes that I missed. And I've got to say that Scott realizing that he got There Will Be Blood wrong brings me so much joy. So <laughs> that's for you, Tyler. Yes, Tyler. I admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> what, this time. Uh, Scott, what would you bring it up to now? Like a, Would it be like a 5.9? I don't know if I'm willing to commit to a new number yet. Okay. Like, part of where I've realized it was a bad rating is because as I've watched more movies, I'm like, oh, well, that was better than that. <laughs> so I kind of want to, like, give myself some, like, room to put a little bit more movies in into our list. Sure. Before I would, like, give it a new number. To is it at least, like, above an eight? 
above an eight. I would, as of right now, it's probably mid sevens for me. Gotcha. Um, so it, it depends on where some more movies lay down. Okay. Well, today we're talking about Crash, uh, which I'm personally really excited about. I nominated it. Uh, a little bit of just the facts. Uh, this was written and directed by Paul Haggis, uh, which is like right off the bat kind of a cool thing because Paul Haggis uh, is distinct for being the only person to ever write the screenplay for two consecutive Best Picture winners. Uh, so he wrote the Best Picture winner, Million Dollar Baby, and then also wrote and directed Crash. Uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, it was released May 6, 2004. The other guys gave it a 74%. IMDb gave it a 77. Uh, it did $98 million in the box office, which is low for us lately. We, uh, you know, we had Skyfall at one point one billion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth did less, but you know. But it did $98 million on a $6.5 million budget, which makes this uh, the uh, cheapest Best Picture winner for like 20 years and up until uh, Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. Uh, this won three uh, Oscars, like I said, Best Picture. Uh, it also won Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing. And it was nominated for but didn't win uh, best supporting actor. I'm not sure who for. Scott did the uh, facts on this one. I didn't write. Them. Okay. Uh, it won. One of these actors got a nomination. They didn't get it. Uh, it also uh, didn't get the award for best directing and best original song. What was the song in this movie? Uh, the original song. I'm pretty sure it was the song at the very end. But it was also written and performed by, or like a, a written. Lyrics and uh, and music were written by Paul Haggis as well. He did a lot. Yeah, he did a lot on that. He put this movie, he tried to Steven Soderbergh this movie. Um, Matt Dillon was the actor. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. I was just about to say that. Well, I beat you to it. That you did. Well done. <laughs> Great podcasting, guys. <laughs> so, Zach, you had seen Crash before, right? I have, yeah. So what? Uh, we'll start. We'll start with you. What do you think? Uh, just sort of initial impression watching this movie again. Um. I yeah. So I had seen it once before. Um. And I am pretty sure that I liked it when I watched it the first time. Um. And this time around, uh, I I didn't really care for it all that much, to be honest. Um. There were aspects of it that I thought were good. Uh, ish, um, but there was more about it that I remember being, uh, or that I thought was worse than I remember it being. Um, overall, I felt like it was like just pretty melodramatic. Um, aspects of it felt really like heavy handed. Like I felt like the race stuff felt really heavy handed. Um, and overall, I felt like it had too many characters. I, I feel like um, it easily could have cut out at least like two characters and maybe devoted some more time to some of the other characters that felt more important um, and like more like consequential to the plot and kind of developed them a little bit more. Um, specifically, I think Michael, Michael Pena, I feel like he's like the heart of this movie 
but he still feels like he's barely in the movie. And I really like his character in this movie, and I feel like uh, it would have been compelling to see more of him and kind of develop his arc a little bit more. But we're wasting time with like Sandra Bullock and Brendan Fraser, who I feel like don't really add anything to the movie, or at least their arcs feel really lame and forced and like not moving or powerful or compelling really at all. Um, and so it, it, I thought you loved Brendan Fraser. What was that? I thought you loved Brendan Fraser. Uh, have I been, have I on record said that? <laughs> no, he said he was a fan of the mummy was... three, but that's just because of the rock. Uh, oh, yeah. I think you're confusing it. my love of the rock in the mummy three for my love of Brendan Fraser as uh, what the scorpion king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That has to be, <laughs> that's what you were thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> you're bad. I actually laughed out loud when Sandra Bullock fell down the stairs in the movie. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's comical. Like, it yeah. looked ridiculous. And then not to get ahead of ourselves, but, like, if she had to go to the emergency room and she called all of her friends, <laughs> call the cop. Like, call, call an ambulance. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, all right. So, uh, Scott. Yes. You were a late bloomer to this. I was a late bloomer. And, Jake, you were also a late bloomer, I believe. Yes. So, uh, Scott, we'll start with you. Because uh, I caught Jake, unfortunately, like I looked down and he was drinking water. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Jake. Yeah. I mean to. I filled up my mouth with water as soon as Tyler said my name. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and, and even finish your drink? Tyler of water. is still catching Jake at the worst <laughs> times. <laughs> he's he's got a talent for it. I kind of wish we weren't on video, but I still feel like he'd know. You'd be like, now is no. a really bad time to call Jake out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a spidey sense that it's like, this is my time to throw to Jake. Pretty much, <laughs> Jake yeah. Jake might be doing something and go to Jake. Like, uh, Jake, I'm, I'm just looking into a camera, like, you know, into the, the camera on my on my computer. But I, I still think that Jake the entire time is going to assume that I'm looking at him. Yeah, there was a time actually like when we were doing the intro and then you were looking at the camera like he's looking right at me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm pretty sure you were. I'm pretty sure you were looking at my my frame, but I can't prove it. (laughs) All right, Scott, uh, what did you think about this movie uh, after seeing it for the first time? I, uh, I liked it. I thought it was enjoyable. I do agree there's probably too many characters. Um, it felt a little shallow with uh, with a lot of the characters because you just didn't get to know them. Um, but I didn't have any expectations of this movie. I didn't go in thinking it was going to be anything good or great or so, spectacular. Here's a question. Knowing that it's a Best Picture winner, you didn't go in with any expectations? I didn't know it was the Best Picture you didn't, winner. You didn't know any it. of that information Yeah, I was going to say, beforehand. knowing Scott, I don't look up no anything. Idea. I only knew it was a best picture winner when I was entering the just the facts earlier today. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> like I don't, I don't pay attention to that. I, there's a ton of famous people in this and I bet you, I didn't even know half their names. I wasn't sure if Tyler like said, cause you guys usually watch movies together. Don't you? Yeah. And Most we watched this together. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if maybe you mentioned like this one best picture or something. No, I, I didn't. I ended up, I actually didn't break anything. And so we're like three minutes. Like, obviously, it starts off and he's like, Don Cheadle's in this movie. And then like, like on and on and on. Like, Brendan Fraser's in this. Sandra Bullock's in this movie. Ludacris is in this movie. But uh, anyway, Scott, what? Uh, so you were saying you you liked it, but too many characters. 
yeah, I thought it was I thought it was good. It was entertaining. Um, I agree that uh, a lot of the the racial things back and forth felt a little um, like on the nose. Um, but it was a movie from two thousand four too. So like part of it, I it, like it just feels like an older movie. And it's weird to say that a two thousand and four movie feels like an older movie, but it's twenty twenty one. Yeah, so. it was a long time ago. Yeah, it just it, it feels dated. It almost feels like a nineties movie which it's just on the outside of that. So um, all in all, I thought it was good. I don't know if it deserves best picture, but I, I don't know what it was going against that year either. Yeah, what did it go up against? Well, it famously lost to uh, Brokeback Mountain for best picture. You mean I thought this one best picture. Brokeback Mountain I, or I'm sorry, Brokeback Mountain famously lost to this is what Got I meant it. to say. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Um, and interestingly, uh, Ryan Philippe's character the movie uh-huh. uh was like initially going to be Heath Ledger and he turned it down to do Brokeback Mountain or Brokeback interesting which was uh yeah uh oh what's his name uh super famous director yeah 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 shoot I'm blanking uh, too he did uh Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon Yang uh, he did Life no. of Pi yeah I keep wanting to say Yang Lee but that's not his name Angley, Angley, right? yeah, mm-hmm. Angley. That's it. Uh, Brokeback Mountain was uh, directed by Angley. Um, yeah. So anyway, a <laughs> uh, yeah, little no. fun fact. Speaking about this movie and Best Picture, uh, I read that in an interview, Haggis said that he did not think it was the Best Picture of the year. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. That's 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 an impressive amount of humility from a creative. Jake, what about you? You uh, you were also a late bloomer, like we uh, like we caught while you were taking a drink. Uh, but what did you think of this movie your first time through? Yeah, I wasn't that into it. I think like Zach, I thought that there was way too much going on, and so it's like we come back and I'm like, oh, I forgot about some of these characters because we had to follow a lot of them, and I did feel like like the the racism stuff was like. It was played up and in such a way that like almost like I know like the the message of the movie is like, oh, it's so dangerous. But like, I don't think that like the most dangerous parts of racism are like just screaming slurs at everybody and that it almost makes it easy for you to look and say like, oh, well, didn't do that. Uh, So I think that honestly, it uh, maybe did the opposite of what it wanted to do in a lot of ways. But uh didn't love it. I also, we know how I hate bummer movies, and we really started Bummer Summer off uh, early. <laughs> yeah, a little early. I'm into it, though. And I didn't, there were a few things also. I didn't like the whole, like, I felt like nobody could just be good besides Michael Pena. Like, everybody had to be, nobody could be bad or good. It was like, oh, well, you have to do a good thing and a bad thing in the movie. It's like, if you're the good cop that talks down shooting Terrence Howard, you have to murder uh, Don Cheeto's little brother because you're racist <laughs> on the side of the road. Like, I don't know. I forget. What did, what did Don Cheadle do? That was bad. Uh, he was bad to his mother. Yeah. He kind of just let her and to his brother. Yeah. Like, his mother at the like end he, blamed him for not finding his brother and getting him out of drugs or whatever and out of trouble. So it seemed like he wasn't very present. Yeah. He just sort of, uh, abandoned, like he got out, you know, of, the projects kind of a thing. I mean, LA doesn't have projects, but he got out of the bad side of town, became a cop, 
and just kind of left his family in the dust. And and in a lot of ways, kind of did his best to pretend like they weren't there. He also was racist uh, to his partner. Very overtly. Very, yeah, very overtly. Um, and, yeah. yeah. I think everyone was overt in their racism in this movie. Like, there, there was never any, like, subtle racism. It was always, like, at 10 the entire time. Yeah, I could see that. Which I didn't love. Like, not to say, like, there should be a scale of racism, but there were times where it just felt like I was getting hit over the head with it, where it's like, I, I get it. Like, I know that, like, racism is bad. You don't have to, like, dumb it down to, like, the the most recognizable form of racism where like the, the like Korean couple that we got, like it, it felt like it was just the most stereotypical uh, interpretation of like a Korean couple for us to like project the other people's racism onto. And it, it just felt like ham fisted a bit. Um, and I think that like, I, I didn't love that aspect of it. And uh, also I thought there were some parts of this movie that were, just straight up corny, like uh, the the shooting, the not shooting scene. It was like so melodramatic, like the whole thing. It, it was just corny, like that s- zoom in on Pena's face. And he's just like, I don't know. The whole thing was just it was way too much. And then I was like, oh, she's just not dead after all that. You know, did uh, did you pick up on uh, the bullets being blanks from the beginning, Jake? Uh, yeah, because I was like, why is he? I, I, I didn't pick up on what they were going to be, but I was like, why is he like, do you know what those are? But then I was like, oh, she's probably just trying to stop her dad from doing something dumb. Maybe they're blanks. And then I forgot about it. And I was like, oh, he shot her. And then I then I remembered. So uh, I obviously I nominated this movie. I wasn't uh, a late bloomer. Uh, I saw this movie when it came out. Um, but maybe not in 2004. It might have been in 2005. Um, this was uh, the fr- like one of the first movies to be released on Blu-ray, mm. and uh, we like very briefly had Blu-ray, <laughs> uh, and and I think we had I think we had rented this Blu-ray, uh, but. I mean, I, I loved it back in 2015. I think for me back in 2015, I hear you guys and I, I or 2005, I'm sorry. I, I hear you guys and I think I agree that um, that there is, like a lot of this does feel dated going back and watching it again now. Um, and I think that like racial, uh, racial issues have become so elevated lately and we've had such better films that deal with racial issues that this just doesn't like it, it it doesn't pass muster in a in in a lot of ways but for me at 15 years old uh this was the first time i was ever really uh you know confronted with the fact that racism exists i you guys were talking about it being very overt and I agree, I think it is, but but it's also very casual throughout the film. Like, it's overt, but it's not, um, like, for all of these characters, it's not something specific. Like, it's just a very casual racism. And I think it was the first time I ever really was faced with that as a white man 
you know, who grew up in a predominantly white Southern Californian, you know, uh, city at a private school that was predominantly white. Um, you know, I, I never really thought of racism as being casual. I always thought that racism was exclusively, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, the Nazis. Like, it was very uh, directed. It was very intentional. And it was very specific. And so this was the first time that I thought about that, like, oh, man, I have some, maybe not racist, but certainly bigoted, thoughts and opinions about everyone that I encounter in the world around me. Like I, I see, you know, an Asian driver and I think bad driver, you know, like that's not like specific or directed or intentional or aggressive racism. It's just something that operates in the back of my head because my culture is saturated with it. And so for me, like back in 2005, it was the first time I was ever exposed to that. And I think watching it again today it served maybe as a better reminder for me having seen it way back then and having that like emotional connection to it where like watching it again, I felt like, man, like this is the racism that we're not talking about, I think enough, but is so prevalent and that's casual versus, uh, you know, really aggressive, specific, um, intentional racism it's just the prejudices biases all carry um and and i hear you guys i i think you know to to a certain degree or another i agree i think the sandra bullock scene like for sure is like it it was it was super dated like it just played out bad um you know but i also give this a little bit of a pass because this was an indie film in 2004 Mm-hmm. Like this was not a big budget film. This was an indie film that went to Sundance, and you know Lionsgate picked it up for six million dollars. How did an indie film get so many huge names in it? It's not uncommon, really. Uh, yeah, no, it's not uncommon because like so Paul Haggis sets out to make an independent film. That just means that Paul Haggis, who just won the Oscar for best pick for writing the best picture the year before paul haggis gives you a call as an actor the most recent best picture writer and says hey i want you to be in a film as an actor you're gonna you're gonna take it uh, you know almost on spec like yeah like you just wrote best picture i have never been in a best picture film so i'm gonna do it what movie was that you may have mentioned it earlier but i i don't think i heard it million dollar baby oh that's right yeah yeah. And so like for people like like I want us to get into like the cast cuz that's such a big part of this film and I want us to talk through all these people. Yeah. But you you look at someone like Michael Peña who's such a big name now, but this was Michael Peña's first feature film. Was it really? Yeah. Jeez. Hmm. Like before this the only things that he had ever done were uh like he was getting typecast a lot, but mostly he was just an extra. Like he would have one line kind of thing but this launched his career I, yeah and I, I would assume that a lot of these that like are big names now weren't nearly as big as they were back then even Sandra Bullock I feel like started off doing kind of humdrum roles 
Yeah, I, she had done some stuff. Like, she had obviously done Speed by this point. Um, oh, that's right. Like, yeah. She had done some bigger films. She and Brendan Fraser were probably the two biggest names at the time. Mm. Uh, whereas, like, Matt Dillon still hadn't really, like, he'd sure. done a lot of, like, character roles, but nothing, like, really big. And, and certainly nothing where he was such a big part. Ryan Philippe was a, a heartthrob when he was younger, but, you know, was in a little bit of a lull at this point in his career. Um, you know, maybe the other biggest name in this at the time would have been Ludacris, but not big for acting, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. It was, he was big for being a, a phenomenal rapper, like in a, a really successful rapper, but not... Not for acting. So yeah, it's easy to when when you're a uh, when you're a, a big name writer and director that you're going to do a passion project. It's pretty easy to to rope in some some stellar lineup. Was Don Cheadle big at this time? I'm trying to think about what had come out. Not really. I mean, you know, honestly, Don Cheadle wasn't. I, I wouldn't say Don Cheadle was big until he replaced Terrence Howard as uh, War Machine slash what? It's just that when I saw <laughs> just, the cast for this movie, I was like, oh, so is Don Cheadle going to come and replace Terrence Howard halfway through? Uh, you know, a quarter yeah. of the way through? Yeah. But, like, that was, I mean, like, Don Cheadle has done a lot. Like, he did Hotel Rwanda before this, I think, which was... I, I think that was before this, which was exceptional. Uh, actually, no. Hotel Rwanda might have actually been after. I think it was after this. Uh, but, like, Don Cheadle wasn't... It, it was the same year. Um, Hotel Rwanda was 2004. Uh, but, like, Don Cheadle was, like, even up until recently, still not, like very much of like a household name and not a household face. Uh, he was just someone who was in a lot of things in smaller, you know, in, in smaller roles. What, uh, all right, let's jump into, since we like are kind of talking about this right now, let's talk about cast. Cause this has a enormous and phenomenal cast. Uh, who were some like standout? Well, I guess anyone that like who surprised you that you're like, oh wow, they're in this, or was it, is that too many? Say, I think like I didn't get those surprises um, during the movie because I just I looked I Google the movies usually before we watch them and I was like, oh crap, there's a million people in this movie. I was kind of excited for Brendan Fraser because I think he's very likable, but uh, I he didn't do much for me in this movie, so I was pretty bummed. Yeah, I'm normally a, a Brendan Fraser fan. I, I say that. I only like him in The Mummy. So I take it back. I'm not a Brendan Fraser fan. I'm a Mummy but fan. But he's pretty likable in those. Uh, specifically The Mummy 3 with The Rock. <laughs> oh, so you just like The Scorpion King too. That's yeah. an easy mistake to say you're a Brendan Fraser fan. Really it's easy to mistake that, yeah. <laughs> Scott's made that mistake twice now, I think. <laughs> and he will continue to make it throughout the night. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but, uh, I don't think that there was really anyone in this movie that I like was very impressed with on an acting level. Really? Oh, yeah. I, you're talking about surprised by the performance. 
Yeah, I think I kind of agree. I guess well, that too. I, and I, I've seen the movie before, so I pretty much remember what everyone was. I think the the one guy I was surprised by was uh, was the guy who was in. He, he was the police chief. He was only David. David. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, he's in this for this like five minute scene. Um, but yeah, he was the only one that I didn't remember being in. Yeah. So it's funny that you brought that up because I was like, oh, Keith David's in this. Okay. I don't know what her name is, but um, the the wife who was touched by Matt Dillon's character. Oh, the oh, she's Jennifer Esposito. Now. I think. Fan- no, Jennifer. That was the partner. Yeah. Isn't it like Fandy something? Fandy something. Yeah. 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 Fandy. Uh, Fandy Newton. Yeah. I thought she did good. Yeah, I I thought she did it. I it's funny that you say that, Zach, because like I I think that's a hot take. Like I so I thought that Thandie Newton did a phenomenal job. I thought that uh, you know I thought that Michael Pena delivered the role that like absolutely should have launched his. Is, I I thought that what he did was so incredible. Uh, I I really liked what Don Cheadle did with his character. I really liked his. Um, his struggle with nonchalance, like he was very nonchalant, but I think struggled with struggled with being nonchalant. Like he didn't want to be calloused, uh, but like I I felt that was like a really complex character. Um, okay, uh, and Matt Dillon, I felt like was yeah. You know, obviously he got nominated. I I think he in that car scene in particular, but also. The way that he grew his aggression in his uh, in the the sit down with the insurance lady uh, about his dad's hair, the way that he like went from like zero to sixty, I thought was really impressive, really uh, moving for me. Honestly. I really liked the insurance lady too. Are you joking or serious? <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> the way you said that, it could I felt like it could have been either. Like, yeah. Like I don't know if it was her acting or not, but I like liked her character. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say uh, Matt Dillon would probably be the one person that I would have I would have said uh, that I I did think did a good job, and then I forgot about Thandy, and I do think she did a good job, but I also forgot about her character. Like I just completely forgot that she was even in this movie until you guys brought it up, and I think that in itself, like it just it didn't leave an impression on me. That's funny. Yeah, but I mean, it could have been because there was just so much going on. There was so much going on, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those things where it's easier for me to remember the bad over the good. Because, like, when I, I, right now, when I'm thinking about Crash, all I can picture is Sandra Bullock falling down the stairs. Um, yeah, it, and I get that, but like for me, like, it, like even when you bring up like Sandra Bullock in this movie. I think the scene that I remember most is when uh, they're right after they got carjacked and Michael Pena's in the kitchen changing the locks and Brendan Fraser's staff is in the living room. His, his mixed race staff is in the living room and she's like just so upset about this and, and, her performance in that like it was so compelling so real i and i i think i don't know i guess maybe that's where it's tough for me because 
race really is such a, a, a tough thing to talk about because like I, I hear that kind of overt over the top, like unashamed, ashamedly like racist talk like that. And to me, it almost sounds unbelievable, but I think it's cause like, I, I just don't know anyone that like unashamedly racist and maybe like, I, I don't want to say that those people don't exist. Like obviously racism does exist, but like I don't have any firsthand experience with that where like someone could be so racist that they're just going to call it like a gangbanger, a gangbanger right in front of his face, like five feet away to where like I register that and think like this feels a little like over the top and a little melodramatic, but like maybe for other people that is like, they can, like actually relate to that and like have people in their lives that are that way and think like, this is realistic. And so I don't want to completely write it off, but that's where it was hard for me to like be engaged because it it didn't feel realistic to me, I guess. And I guess to my experiences. Um, But I do want to bring up one of the characters that I, along with Michael Pena, I found the most compelling and I really, I, I really actually did empathize with him a lot was, um, the, uh, the, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think it was a gas station that he owned, but like convenience a store, store, the owner. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Store the convenience owner. store. That's the word I'm looking for. The convenience Baruch store owner. Was, I think, yeah. The character's name. Yeah. Um, I, I really liked his character. I, I, I shouldn't say like, because he wasn't a super likable person, but I really felt for him. And he was another character where I felt like if we could take out some of these other characters that I don't feel like are really doing much to further the cause and we could develop this character a little bit more, I feel like I could really like that because his, I think the thing is that it, it feels like every character or almost every character has to have some like forced redemption by the end of the movie. Maybe not every character, but most of them do. And I feel like we're trying to fit so much in that it feel by the time we get to their redemption, like I think Sandra Bullock is the best example for this. It feels just way too forced. And even his, um, I wish I remembered his name, but the convenience store owner, his Sean tube. Well, the character's name is Farhad. 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 Farad. Farad. So Farad, his redemption feels a little forced to me too, but I feel like if we had a little bit more time with him and could have developed it a little bit more, it could have been really good because I really liked him um, and I really felt for his struggle. And I thought that that was, I, I thought that him coming into America, having to deal with the post 9-11 preconceptions that a lot of white America had at the time was a really interesting and could have been a really compelling story. Not to say I wanted a one-off on just him, but if, if we could have tightened it down to like a, a few, like four central characters, I feel like it could have been a lot better. Yeah. Speaking of, <clears throat> excuse me. Speaking of like the forced redemptions, I think my one of my biggest issues with the movie was uh, trying to give. I feel like we tried to give Matt Dillon's character a redemption moment and like like almost a hero moment, and I was like, okay, so am I just supposed to get over what happened earlier in the movie? You know, and I was just I didn't know how to feel about what they were trying to make me feel, but that part I hated honestly. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm not I'm not at all like contradicting. I'm just remarking like just such different like perspectives to something. Like for me watching that, I didn't think that it was a redemptive moment for him as much as it was a recognition and realization. Like what I felt in that moment was him realizing how uh 
how his actions truly impacted and affected other people because, you know, he abused this woman and then expected to never see her again, you know? And then now is, is cold light of day confronted with her and confronted with her fear in a heightened and tangible way where like, had they just been crossing on the street and she showed fear, you know, it might've been like, you know, he, he might've written it off, but because he's trying to, you know, just do his job, like not be a hero, but just, you know, he's supposed to do that, uh, you know, run in and try and pull her out and faced with, uh, her fear in such an intimate and up close way that when she walks away, she, when she looks back at him, she shakes her head. Like it's not redemptive for him. She's still not forgiven. And, you know, she's letting him know that, that even though he saved her life, this does not make things okay. And, uh, you know, I thought that that, and, and then he's just left. We have this like pull away shot of him just kneeling on the ground, just having to live with that, you know, and having to finally for the first time sit in how his, how his choices affect other. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, it, it's funny, like just different people seeing the same thing and, pulling away something completely different from it's interesting yeah. i didn't read that and I, I i guess i maybe didn't notice that she was shaking her head at him but i think maybe i would have gotten it if we would have just seen a little bit more of him and like seen some sort of like showing the change in him because it really the only thing we see after that is you know he's got a hard time dealing with his dad which i felt like was just more trying to build up more sympathy for him and i was like i don't really feel that much sympathy for him like i feel bad for his dad Oh yeah, no. I and and maybe again, same kind of thing like taking away two different things. I don't think like I didn't feel at all ever an ounce of sympathy for him or that the movie was trying to make me sympathetic toward him. Like it just made him out to be just a piece of crap, you know? Um a, just a bad guy who it, he has to finally come to grips with uh, you know, his, how he treats me. Because, you know, he doesn't really have to come to grips with it with the insurance lady. You know, like, he doesn't really have to deal with that. I mean, you know, he gets thrown out, but he gets the last word kind of a thing. And so his arc is not about redemption. His arc is about recognition. You know, and then you have, like, Ryan Philippe's character arc that is also about recognition because he thinks this other guy's a racist because he's a lot more uh, overt. overt on the, a lot more like aggressive about yeah. his racism, but he has to then recognize toward the end his own prejudices, and so like these two arcs are really about recognition, not about like any sort of resolve or reconciliation. Ryan Philippe was the same piece of crap at the end of the movie that he was at the beginning of the movie. And Ryan Philippe with all of us are just the learning about it at the, at the end, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And he's one of the worst cause he killed someone and then hit the body. I mean, yeah, like literally the worst, you know, <laughs> like he's probably the worst character and uh, you know, 
he's and, and I think that that's so like important and valuable in race conversations today that like you know don't you shouldn't always trust virtue signals you know what I mean because that's what Ryan Philippe's character was he was a virtue signal like oh this guy's a racist this guy's a this is awful you know uh, and he's my friend, let him go, and, you know, like, all that kind of thing. But he was just virtue signal. He was trying to cover up his own inherent racial prejudices and biases uh, by pointing out everyone else. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that, man, I, it, it's funny. Again, like, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, it's just so fun to me to do this podcast with you guys and like come away with such polarizing perspectives like just yeah interpreting things differently yeah 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 just yeah um one thing that i wanted to talk about specifically with michael pena we've talked about his performance a couple of times uh Uh, i watched a interview with him uh recently where he was like it was a i think a gq interview on youtube where he was breaking down his most iconic roles and so Crash came up, and the scene where he gives his daughter the cloak, mm-hmm. like, I learned that Michael Pena is, like, he is almost like, like, he actually doesn't like doing comedy, which is funny, because I think he's hilarious. Well, not all the time. Like, you know, you look at his movies, and it's kind of a split. Um, but uh, he's so good good at con- he's so memorable at doing comedy but i learned that he because that's what he does uh, all the time yeah pulls his characters from real people so like one of like my favorite of his characters was ant-man mm-hmm. and like he pulled that character from this guy he grew up with that was like lived down the street from him that like talked really fast and like really randomly and sporadically about all these different things and he was like oh like that would be a cool character for me to do someday and he just kind of worked on that character and then read a script where like oh i think i can do that character here and just does real people from his life in his movie which i think is so neat but like for this movie in particular and for this scene in particular um he didn't have kids at the time and so he got the script and so he went and spent a month living with his brother who had just had his first kid mm. just to experience what it's like to have, you know, a young child and like what, you know, what that's like. And, uh, and so he suggested to Paul Haggis when they were going into the scene where he gives him the cloak, he said, what if I talk to her like, you know, this dad kind of thing, but like, the, the real element of, like, talking to a child like a real human being. And so he pitched, what if I talked to her like he was a guy at a at the bar, next to me at the bar? And Paul Haggis is like, I think that's awesome. Do that. And so, like, he's talking to his daughter, and he's like, yeah, so this thing happened. And and she's like, no, that that there's no fairies. And he's like, oh, man, forget it. I knew you wouldn't believe me, like you know, kind of a thing, like how he talked to her. Like, it felt so real because he channeled things from real life. And, uh, man, I, I just think Michael Pena is super underrated in this movie and in his career. I think he's an exceptional actor. 
Yeah, I think he's really good. He's one of those people where I've never like stopped and thought about their acting. Like all of his characters are very believable. Whereas people like maybe Brendan Fraser, for example. How dare uh, you? Are less believable, I'll say. Or I think even maybe like in some ways, like in some ways his character is so believable because we know of what we know of his persona, but like Ludacris, it just seems like Ludacris is playing Ludacris. Yeah, he's just being himself. You know what I mean? Like he's not playing an, uh, a part, he's just playing himself. Uh, whereas like Michael Pena in every role that he plays, he plays such a unique and, uh, yeah, super believable character. Zach, who was your favorite story arc out of all the characters? I know you kind of said like you wish you had limited, if you like, if you had to pick four, which four would you want, um, this movie to focus on? Um, I would probably say, uh, I've already forgotten his name. Is it Farad? Farad. Yeah. Farad, Michael Pena, Matt Dillon, and then Terrence Howard and Thandie Newton. That's five. Well, you can't really take Terrence Howard out, you know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Even though I don't know if I would keep his like mental breakdown scene. Can you have Matt Dillon's character without Ryan Philippe's character? No, I, I, sorry. I guess I'm more so. I mean, like, uh, like keep those storylines and gotcha. keep all the characters within them. But like, uh, just eliminate the backstories of the other characters. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, because I, I guess I think of Matt Dillon. I, I you have to have his storyline, obviously, to have his character and and the things that he goes through. But I think of him as like the protagonist of his storyline, you know, intersecting with Thandie Newton and whatnot. Um, and I realize that we're missing characters that connect the other ways, but that's not my job. That's Paul Haggis's job. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it was super believable, anyways. So you could find another unbelievable way to do it. And and I like I, I don't want to say like it has to be four. Like I I really think that like you easily could have cut out Sandra Bullock and Brendan Fraser and we already have a better movie. So like if we had just did that, we'd already be in better shape, but we could maybe cut out one or two more. Um, yeah. I just want to point out, I'm not saying that this is like good, bad or indifferent, uh, but you are cutting the only white characters out of the film. I'm like, does that make a believable film that its purpose is to explain racial tension in Los Angeles to remove white people from? Well, I'm keeping Matt Dillon and Ryan Philippe. Okay, that's true. I'm sorry, I forgot. And I guess I don't. It, my issue was not that Sandra Bullock and and what's her name were white. It was just that they were like lame characters. Like you could keep them, just make them better. Like. Like I felt like Sandra Bullock's redemption was like the least believable thing in like that I've seen in a long time. You know, like so it's just like, well, you're not doing anything to further the cause, so just cut it. It wasn't really a redemption that was just sad. Like this person who she didn't like ended up being her best friend. 
we, the only person who cared about her in her yeah. life. Yeah. But it like, it, I mean, I feel like it felt like the movie was trying to present it like redemption. Cause it's like, Oh, she's not racist anymore. Like she realized, like, I don't know. That's the way it, it came across to me. Yeah. And again, same kind of thing like that we were talking about earlier. Like I didn't need that at all. Like at all. Uh, like she wasn't, she didn't redeem herself. She just, you know, she it, again, even kind of recognition for her that it was, uh, and maybe all of this, maybe the theme of this movie is not, none of it is, uh, you know, reconciliation or you know, uh, you know, anything like that. It's all just recognition, uh, and and I think that supports like the opening and closing line from Don Cheadle that like we're all just we, we don't touch each other we're just you know in our own little world and so we have to crash into each other just to feel anything and that's a really sad sentiment but it, it's a very true sentiment I think in LA maybe in particular but but I think that that's true of a lot of western culture um, and so like I, I didn't feel any sort of like redemption for Sandra Bullock it, it was more just her recognizing and realizing that she surrounded herself by she surrounded herself with fake friends like people who don't care about her an ounce mm-hmm. you know like and and not just in that like it was throughout her entire arc like earlier well I guess right before the slip and fall she's on the phone like you know, really like expressing real pain and anguish to her friend on the phone. And then her friend, apparently we don't hear the other side, but says something to the effect of like in the middle of her having a a really breakdown moment saying, sorry, I've got to do something else. Mm -hmm. Like you don't matter to me. And then that being solidified by, because like Jake, you brought up like, just call an ambulance. She didn't call any of her friends. Because the phone was fell at the top of the stairs. It was just nobody nobody even noticed that she was hurt until the housekeeper came. Oh, I thought she said she tried everyone. She said she tried Brendan Fraser and she tried but he was busy and all that. Maybe she had a life alert. It was after the housekeeper found her. Okay. Yeah. So because like we see like the super cheesy, I agree, it's super cheesy when she slips and falls. She falls down the stairs but the phone falls at the top of the stairs. So she has no access to get help. But then once she's hurt, she calls all of her friends to try and like explain to them that she's been injured and none of them care. Wasn't the housekeeper fired though? Why would she have come back? She wasn't called. No, she wasn't fired. I think, I think something she sent, she sent the housekeeper out for groceries. I, and then the housekeeper came back from getting groceries and found her injured at the bottom of the stairs and helped her up to her bed. I'm wondering if maybe like w- one of the reasons that's leading us to kind of have like, like Tyler for you to have, and probably Scott, it sounds like you guys are a little bit more aligned different takes than Jake and I is it, it feels like there's so many characters and there's not enough time to develop them that it forces us to kind of fill in the blanks. And I feel like, Jake and I are filling in the blanks with what we think it is versus what you guys would think it is. Whereas there was a lot of things that Jake was taking or uh, bringing up earlier that I felt similarly to where 
I was interpreting it way differently. Uh, I had no idea that she was found by the housekeeper and left the phone. Like I assumed the same thing that she was able to call people and that no one was able to come. I, I don't remember the movie like explicitly saying that. No, that was all explained in dialogue. Was it? Jake missed it too. Yeah. No, it, I think you guys maybe weren't watching it very closely. Maybe. But that was I don't know. 100%. 100% explained I mean, in dialogue. I think it was explained in dialogue the way I said it. Yeah. There's been a couple of things where it's just like. No, it definitely wasn't. I remember this movie differently. I, well, I and, and maybe you should definitely go back and rewatch it because I think maybe you were a little distracted watching it. Because there have been a lot of things where you've said where it's like, no, the movie explicitly explains that or says the yeah, opposite. Yeah, but of then what I always admit said. like I wasn't really paying attention, and like that wasn't the case sure. with this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, that was that was uh, like what uh, what I just explained. The phone falling at the top of the stairs wasn't explained in dialogue. We just see it happening. Okay, uh, where she can't call anyone. And then she explains the whole situation to her husband, exactly how I just described it. I'll have to go back and watch that scene then. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are so many elements of this, I think, that are... It is very... I will say, it's a lot. And, and this was, for me, the first movie I had ever seen that was like a convergence movie, mm-hmm. where you have disparate storylines that converge. Um. And and I still think it's it's probably the best movie I've ever seen did that. Ever since then, every time I see a movie like that, like even Cloud Atlas, in my head I'm comparing it to Crash. Hmm. Uh, and part of that is subjective that like I'm comparing it to the first time I saw it. But most of the time, it doesn't live up for me to how well Crash takes these disparate stories that are rich and unique all on their own. And I agree with you, Zach. I think there is a lot of room for uh, filling in blanks. But I don't think that that's on accident. I think that's very intentional by the by Haggis. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen a movie that tied them all together in such a compelling way as Crash does. Um. But I mean, I, I don't I don't think that my opinion is the authority. It's just my opinion. Um, I saw someone online say that this is like a worse Magnolia, and so I'm curious I if you if you feel like this does it better than I'm not trying to say I think because Mag- I also didn't really care for Magnolia. But I'm curious to hear how you feel about that statement. Um. Maybe in some ways, although Magnolia to me is a lot more, uh, a lot slower. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I I was I was never bored watching this movie. Yeah, no, and and Magnolia, like I I think you know Paul Thomas Anderson is a legend, but like Magnolia has and and Paul Thomas Anderson in general, like I would say if I have one like caveat that it like if ever i'm recommending a paul thomas anderson movie to someone i always tell them be prepared to really like deal with your own propensity to boredom Mm -hmm. because all of his movies are just so low and slow until they're not uh whereas this to me felt more like 
you know, what I would expect out of maybe a summer blockbuster, you know, sure. than a PGA film. Yeah. So, no, I don't, I don't think I would agree with that statement. Um, I think that Crash still probably does the convergence element better than Magnolia. But I think that the acting performances in Magnolia and the directing in Magnolia is far superior. So I would say the plot of this movie is better than Well, do you guys want to hear something crazy? Um, I haven't been talking for the last few minutes because I was trying to see the um, rereading the plot and see what happened when Sandra Bullock (laughs) fell down. And uh, I skimmed through probably five plot summaries. Not one of them mentions her falling down the stairs. (laughs) That scene at all. (laughs) Not a single one. So I'm going to have to go back and watch it. We spent more time. Yeah, we spent more time than anyone else on that. On that. <laughs> yeah, they all skip it. Yeah, because I'm. To be honest, like I, I, I feel like you know I was you know picking nits at you guys because I also don't think that that's a particularly important part of the movie, um, at all. Um, <laughs> question. But I. G- question for you guys: Do you guys think that uh, Sandra Bullock only did the bright side? to atone for her sins in Crash? <laughs> you know, I read a review saying that this was her preparing for, to launch herself into that role, the blind side. Really? Which I thought was uh Did I call it weird. the bright side? You did call it the bright side. And I was like, am I remembering I wrong? Ask, like what that was. <laughs> this is, we should do that movie next. The bright side? <laughs> the bright side, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. I mean the Mummy Three. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm back in. We've Were all seen the Mummy out? Three, but we can make an exception. I was out. I've never seen the Mummy Three. Oh shoot! I thought you said you loved the. Scorpion By the way, King. <laughs> you said that, and I went along with the joke. Okay. <laughs> you guys keep saying Mummy Three. I'm pretty sure it was the Mummy Two that had the rock. Ah, well, you know. <laughs> It was Mummy Two. <laughs> like he, really everyone's know? been saying it well, all episode, <laughs> and was... I just let it go. But then it kept coming well, up, and I felt like since we're a movie podcast, <laughs> I needed to call out you guys. It's, are it's very like wrong. one of those. It's the Mummy, the mummy Two. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's things that no one two. knows for sure. Like, did Sandra Bullock drop the phone? Like when she fell down? Like, <laughs> not even Paul. Movie, I guess can movie say. critics will argue to this day. You know? No, they won't argue about that. They that, just won't mention it. <laughs> They won't mention it at all. But the Scorpion King got his own movie after The Mummy 2. He did. That's correct. So it's kind of like Mummy 3, Scorpion King. But Brendan Fraser is not in it. Well, we've already established that's not who we needed. Who plays the the Scorpion King in the Tom Cruise uh, reboot? In the Dooku? It's unrelated. That's not the same Mummy universe at all. Hmm. So Brendan Fraser could have a part in that still. Could have been a funny joke that I tried to. Maybe Brendan Fraser's the the Scorpion King in that one. <laughs> Brendan Fraser's the Scorpion King. Yeah, <laughs> it actually is. Related. It would have been a better movie. It, yeah. it would have been a better movie. It would have been awesome if uh, they had The Rock play the main character in the new one, and Brendan Fraser played the Scorpion King. Yeah, but the main character still has a scorpion body, <laughs> and Brendan Fraser still looks normal. Yeah, I'd watch it. One other thing that I wanted to uh, point out, uh, this is mostly for Zach, uh, although, you know, Jake, I think, mostly watched it and Scott watched it. 
did you catch uh, that we had not one, but two lost actors in this movie? Who were I don't they? even know if I could think of the, the first. There were it was two uh the two of the Koreans. Oh so, Jin was in it. Oh right? yeah, Jin. He Jin is in was it. in it. Daniel Day Kim. He didn't have a single line though. He was no. just in the background. Yeah, he was just in the background. Uh but he was like selling the the slaves, the Korean slaves, uh in the very beginning of the movie. And then uh the I'm I'm pretty sure uh, th- this one I'm less certain of, and I haven't fact-checked it, uh, but I'm pretty sure that the Korean woman that uh, in the very beginning of the movie that comes in at the very end that's the wife of the guy that bought the slaves, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that that in Lost is Jin, is Sun's mother. Mm. I don't really remember Sun's mother, so I believe you. Yeah. I'm 99% positive that that was Sun's mother. Uh, but yeah. We had two two lost actors. Do you think he was at least Jin? one for sure? Because Jin was in it. Yeah, I'd like to believe that this was uh, a prequel to Lost. That uh, mm. Jin was, you know, on, uh, and and it is kind of funny. His name, uh, his credited name in the in this movie is Park, and that is uh, isn't that Son's dad's. Company like isn't it Park? Oh, it's, it's been a really long time since I've watched Lost. <laughs> I don't remember at all. I'm pretty certain it's Park. So it could be that that Jin was selling slaves on behalf of Son's uh, father, and uh, then he ended up in Lost Purgatory in order to atone for his uh, sin. You heard it here first. Does that make? Does that theory, Zach, make the movie more palatable to you? Yeah, I'll probably give it a nine. <laughs> All right, let me type that in. That's locked in. You can't delete that. All right, Jake, you want to spin up the servers for yeah, us? They're uh, still gone, but but can you spin them up? Sure. Still? Yeah, they're that's what this room is made out of. So oh, okay, they don't do anything. But can they at least still? Can we like hear some? Yeah, they can make me really like hot that? in here. Perfect. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go to Zach first. Zach, what would you like to rate uh, Crash? I'll give it a 6.5. And how about Tyler? I'm going to give this movie a 7.9. And I will give this movie a 6.9. And Jake, what would you like to rate Crash? I've got to say, I'm really not used to telling you this, Scott. So I'll tell Tyler. Then I'm going to give it a six <laughs> and then you can do with that information what you will. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. Uh-huh. All right. That brings our crash score to a 68% on rotten potatoes. I'm, I'm a little, I got to be honest. I'm a little, uh, shocked, uh, that this sits as a best picture winner, that this sits in the middle of our, of our spread. Uh, we rated this 1% higher than speed and 1% lower than tombstone. Can I just say that if you Google crash, like the third result is, is crash the worst best picture winner and also the fifth result. And you don't, sure. like, you don't even Google like crash, bad review. You just Google like crash or crash review. 
Uh, and that's yeah. But what did they say? Did you read the article? Did they say it was or was? They said it was. <laughs> A lot of people uh, said it was. Um, but Zach, I wanted to I wanted to roast you again one more time, just you know for context. Mm-hmm. You said that this was as good as Young Frankenstein. Really, I gave Young Frankenstein uh. a six point five. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you rated movies lower, but you know this is also as good as Young you Frankenstein, also, and and just barely better than The Patriot. You gave Dirty Harry six point two five. I'd probably rather watch Dirty Harry. <laughs> I would not rather watch Young Frankenstein. I I yeah, that's a mistake on my part. I should have rated Young Frankenstein <laughs> much lower. <laughs> Man, you know, I really can't get over <laughs> you these. Can't catch picks. a break. I'm just gonna say <laughs> it, that, like, my picks, always... I feel like, are way better than a lot of Tyler picks because we're having to we're having to talk about really bummer movies. You know, would you rather no, talk I... about Young Frankenstein or Short Term Twelve? <laughs> short Term Twelve every day of the week. What You'd you rather talking? talk about Short Term Twelve? Yeah, I love it's that such movie. a bummer. I love that movie. That's in a I. Uh, Tyler historically may have the best track record here. Like, uh, I think he picks good movies, <laughs> but I think that they are not as fun to talk about. Well, I'll say that I did not enjoy talking about Young Frankenstein. All right, <laughs> Young Frankenstein aside, you've got a lot of fun talking about the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly for a year. <laughs> so I just think you know, I think I deserve yeah, a little that's more. True. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to what you picked for next week, Jake. Is it uh, a modern, fun, enjoyable movie? Pretty modern. Um, <laughs> Hitchcock, you know. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, we haven't done one of those in about uh, what, like 1956 or something. 58. 58. Yeah, uh, yeah. we're watching Vertigo. Right on, Todd's right on track for Jake. If you were wondering, it's not uh, available on any streaming services, so you will have to <laughs> buy this movie. And you can't buy it on Amazon Prime, so I don't know what we're gonna do. Where are you? Where do you buy it? Uh, Apple TV, apparently. <laughs> do you have to buy a DVD? Have Amazon ship it to you? Maybe I don't know if they have it. <laughs> How did we watch it? Tyler bought it on Apple TV. <laughs> I bought it. I I buy all of our movies. It's the only way you guys get to watch these. All right, Jake. Uh, well, actually, since you know you picked this movie. Uh, vertigo our next film uh we'll, we'll close out with zach zach any final thoughts about crash yeah i think 